would you guys get out of the aisles, please? I, I do think it's awesome that uh, this crowd loves to fellowship with each other, and, uh, and that is a beautiful thing about the Living Faith Fellowship, is it's just good to get with the other folks that are like-minded, uh, and, and just the synergy that we feel when we get together. And uh, what are y'all talking about? <laughs> you, got, you guys having a good time tonight? <laughs> it's time for preaching now. <laughs> okay, enough of that fellowship jump. Let, let's get serious. <laughs> All right. All right, all right. So let's uh, let's talk just a little bit about where we've we've been over the how many weeks have we been doing this? <laughs> uh, Sunday night we, we talked about the biblical illustration uh, of discipleship, and we went back crazily enough into the the Old Testament, and we were seeking to answer the question: What what if we don't make disciples? And the theme that night was the Old Testament picture that accentuates the need for discipleship. I don't think we can ever get moved away from the fact, y'all, that after our exodus out of our sin in this world, before we get into Canaan, this is the abundant life that Jesus said that he came through salvation to provide for us. But between Egypt and Canaan, there is a what? There's a wilderness to go through. And, and, and of course, we talked about the fact that God's intention is for those of us that live in Canaan, that are actually living the abundant life, being used of God to reach people who are bound in their sin and being used of God to, to deliver them out of Egypt and then walking with them, taking them by the spiritual hand through that wilderness because if they don't have somebody to take them by the spiritual hand through the wilderness, just like with the children of Israel, the unbelievably vast majority will be overthrown in the wilderness. Okay, so we talked about that on Sunday night. And then last night, we talked about the biblical mandate of discipleship. And now, having covered that, I hope that you you really do grasp the weight of the mandate of discipleship. And the question that we sought to answer last night is, why are we to make disciples? And we, we looked last night at the big picture that, in my thinking, motivates discipleship. Once you get the fact that we now are, are the people that God wants to use, and not just the people, but the sons of God that are here to bring him praise and glory and honor by replenishing this earth with this race of beings called the sons of God. Man, it just, uh, I, I, and again, I, I think we're probably all motivated in a different way, but I can tell you years ago, coming to that truth, is what has motivated me through the years to not lose sight of what this thing is all about. Now, there's people that have come in from out of town. You may be a part of churches that are not disciple-making churches. What I was seeking to do in the last two nights is not uh, present discipleship as you know, our Living Faith Fellowship, you know, we kind of got a cute little thing going on here. Uh, I wanted you to be able to see that this is something that is, it is the Christian life. This is, this is not just little add-ons and, and all of that. And so we were kind of, you know, with what we've been talking about the last few nights, it's been kind of lofty. Tonight is real practical. I, I hope that if, you, if you're going to get wild tonight, it's going to be in the simplicity of us just answering some of the basic questions of what this thing of discipleship actually is. And tonight, that's what we're going to be seeking to do, to develop 
a biblical understanding of discipleship. We'll seek to answer several questions tonight. What is discipleship? Who actually is it that's supposed to do this? And where does it begin? And the theme that we're going to be looking at in tonight's message is the understanding that activates discipleship. And as we seek to gain that understanding, I want to begin in your notes tonight by qualifying and clarifying this thing that we've been talking about in the mornings and in the evenings, this thing of discipleship. And I think this is important because I, I think this is a group of people because I, I think probably most of the people that are in this room, uh, you, you seek to witness to other people. And we find this a lot in, in witnessing because a lot of times when we're talking to people in, in Christian circles, uh, man, it can get way confusing. And, and the reason it gets confusing is because people in one denomination or one religious affiliation use a particular word and they mean something by it. And people in another denomination or religious affiliation will use the same exact word and yet mean something totally different by that word. You know what I'm talking about? When you witness to a Catholic, man, you got to be real careful because they use some of the same terminology, but there's a different definition that they apply to it. And I want you to understand, when it comes to this thing of discipleship, what I've found is sometimes even those of us that are in the same fellowship of churches, we can use the same word. And we think that we're all talking about the same thing. But if we could actually get in our heads of what we really think that discipleship is, I, it would it'd be real interesting. Now, if we were all to just tonight write down, this is what I think discipleship is. I, man, I'd love for us to be able to, to compare all of that. And, and so what, we're, what I'm hoping that the Lord will use me to direct us into tonight is, is qualifying just what this thing of discipleship actually is and clarifying what it is. And so obviously we're going to be talking about what discipleship is, but a lot of times we can understand a whole lot about what something is by talking about what it isn't. And that's where I want us to begin tonight, talking about what discipleship isn't, okay? And, and first of all, I want you to grab a hold of that discipleship isn't a trendy word for a follow-up program. Again, I think that most believers in churches, whether they have a discipleship ministry or not, I think that this is what most people think this is. It's a cute little word. It's, you know, a Bible word that we're throwing on top of a cute little follow-up program. I think most evangelical churches, after somebody gets saved, I think they've figured out you know what, we need to do something with these people. And, and since most churches don't, and I'm not trying to attack them, because most churches don't really have a clue about what biblical discipleship is or how that actually plays out and what it looks like practically in, in a church setting, what has happened is men have invented church programs through the years to follow up on people, to try to get them plugged in the church. And I think it's very important as we begin to talk about what discipleship is for us to understand that that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about discipleship. This is the way that I, it comes together in my mind. Follow-up is man's invention. Discipleship is our Lord's commission. What we're trying to do is not, hey, how do you think would be a cool way for us to follow up? It's for us to go to our book and find out what did God tell us is our 
commission. And, 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 it, uh, and so I, I think it's very important that we make that distinction. You can call discipleship anything you want to call it. Through the years, I, I've tried to train the people that I, I've been privileged to pastor that we're not going to refer to discipleship as our discipleship program for that very reason. So the people don't get the idea that this is our cute little follow-up program. We, we call it the discipleship ministry because it's something that came to us from the Lord. And I, I, I don't think that's just a matter of semantics because discipleship is not a church program. It is a Christ-ordained ministry. Amen? Okay, secondly, discipleship isn't a Bible study. And again, I think that's very important for us to understand and make that distinction because people in the 21st century have a whole lot of options both in and out of our churches when it comes to this thing of Bible studies. Man, they can go anywhere and, and be a part of, of a Bible study. And if they get the idea that discipleship is just a variation of Bible study, we do it in a big group, and, and if you want to do this, then you can study the Bible one-on-one. -on -one. And, and, and the fear here is that somebody may opt for a Bible study that sounds more appealing to them and actually miss out on what can be the most significant and life-changing experience that a believer can have by being personally discipled biblically by another believer. And certainly, part of what we do in discipleship is we study the Bible. And yet, it is so much more than that. And do you understand that? It isn't a Bible study. And then next, discipleship isn't curriculum on life. And yes, as a fellowship of churches that are all you know, linked together by a lot of things, one of them being discipleship, all of our churches, we do use curriculum. But we certainly don't think that discipleship happens because of content on sheets of paper. Discipleship happens in the context of relationships. It's not a matter of curriculum. And then next, and very closely related to it, but different, discipleship isn't tutor on life. Yes, it involves people, but listen, it doesn't include somebody that just pops in every once in a while to make sure we're grasping all of the right information like some after-school tutor. You know what I'm talking about here? Again, discipleship biblically is all about a relationship. What we're seeking to do is establish people in a meaningful relationship with God. But we can't be used of God to establish them in a meaningful relationship with God if we aren't experiencing a meaningful relationship with them. And if we see this thing as we're the tutor and we're doing all of this at arm's length, I can guarantee you true discipleship is not going to be the result. Okay, so that's a few things that discipleship isn't. Now let's talk a little bit about what discipleship actually is. And as opposed to curriculum on life or tutor on life, discipleship, and you probably can figure this out, is life on life. It's the process, listen, of transferring spiritual life from one person to another. Like, like we talked about on Sunday night, I reminded you just a little bit ago, it, it's someone who has the life of Jesus in them in a, a vibrant, abundant relationship with him, taking a person by the spiritual hand and walking with them, seeking to allow the life of Jesus 
to be infused in them. We could say that discipleship has to do with a person's spiritual formation, but it's not first and foremost about information. It's first and foremost about transformation. Discipleship is more focused on living and applying the Word of God, not just knowing it. Now, now we can... We, we certainly can't live and, and apply the Word of God without knowing it. I, I, I know that. So obviously, knowledge is important, but discipleship isn't just about creating a bunch of spiritual fatheads in our church. And I will tell you, having been a guy that has been banging this discipleship drum for about 25 years now we got to be very careful that this isn't what happens in our discipleship ministry that we're just raising up a bunch of judgmental people who are proud about what they know about the Bible and feel like they got everybody figured out and again, you, you may have to have been in a disciple-making church for a little while to understand the tendency of what, what happens uh, sometimes in the context of discipleship. Can I just give you a little personal testimony of this? Uh, Jeff Bartell is here, and he pastors First Baptist Church of New Philadelphia. And uh, prior to him coming... And taking that church, that I spent 25 years of my life there, 20 years as the senior pastor. And uh, a couple of years into being the pastor, and I was 31 when I became the pastor of the church, uh, I thought I was old then. And uh, I, I had no idea just how young I really was. But I got to tell you, man, I we had a great church. And there was lots of cool things that were going on man for real our music was awesome and our services were great and we were reaching people and people were were growing to the things that they would come on Sundays and, and hear but I heard about this church in Kansas City Missouri that was man they had hundreds hundreds of people sitting down every week, one-on-one, -on -one, in discipling relationships, and hundreds of people who were going on mission trips every year, and all kinds of people that they had trained, and when they had mission conferences, they were bringing their people off of the field, and that was their, dis and, and man, I'm, as a young pastor, I've heard about that, and I'm like, that, that sounds like what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I made a trek to Kansas City, sat at their feet and learned some things about discipleship. And uh, they sent a team to our, our church, 50 of their people at their own expense, that sat down for four days with our people, trying to teach them about the things of discipleship. And, wow, I can tell you, I got, as a young pastor, so stoked about getting people plugged into this book and them getting knowledge of the word of God and man that you know the way that we used to say that goal in the old days is get them established in the word of God brother and so we did that for about seven years and I woke up one day and I said I think we have actually accomplished the goal our, our folks are established in the Word of God. They, they know what they believe. They're not going to be moved off into false doctrine. And wow. But I got to tell you something. I didn't like it. Because like I was talking about just a minute ago, there was this attitude. And, and, and people kind of got to the place to where 
you know, if you're dealing with that spiritual issue, and we, we, could, si we could size everybody up, and, and we, we like to flaunt what we knew about the Bible with folks. And, 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 and I was like, what, what, what in the world has happened here, man? I feel like we're a bunch of cocky, spiritual teenagers trying to let everybody know how bad we are. Love to be in those environments where we could spout off all the stuff that we knew about the Bible. And it took me a little while to figure out where I had run amok. And uh, I, I, I learned where we ran amok from a pretty popular guy. His name is Peter. You, you, have you heard of him? <laughs> uh, Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 15, just clears off a little space. You, you guys still with me tonight? Okay, I, I want to just make sure that you, you, you're, you're catching what I learned from Peter back when. <laughs> okay? Basically, what, what Peter says in verses 12 through 15... I'm going to paraphrase th this, okay, just for time's sake. But basically what Peter is, is saying is, listen, man, the Lord has shown me that I don't have much longer to live. And so, listen, I'm going to take every breath that I have until I croak to put you in remembrance of a revolutionary truth. And he says, it doesn't even matter to me that you are already established in that truth, I'm going to treat it like you have never even heard it because I want to make sure that you get so stirred up and fired up about this thing so that long after I'm dead, you'll still be mindful of it and you will still be living according to it. And the reason that Peter was so enamored by this truth that he's talking about, he details for us that in, in verses 8 and 10 and 11. And, and in verse 8, he says this. Listen, if you will get established in this truth that I'm about to give you, if you'll get it, verse 8, you'll truly know Jesus. And, and, and then he says in verse 10, you will never fall. And then he says in verse 11 that your entrance into the everlasting kingdom will be abundant. Wow. Did you hear that? Somebody says to you, hey, I know something that if you'll get it, you'll truly know Jesus. You'll never fall. And when it's all said and done and you make your entrance out of the judgment seat of Christ into the everlasting kingdom, it's going to be abundant. You know what we'd all be saying? Give me that. That's what Peter's talking about. Those are the positive guarantees, but he also in this passage gives us some negative guarantees if we don't get established in this truth. And what he says in verse 9 is that if we don't, we're going to go spiritually blind. It sounds like Laodicea to me, right? And he says, we won't be able to see afar off. Most blind people can't. <laughs> you ever wonder about that thing? You'll go blind and you won't be able to see afar off. Okay, what, what he's actually talking about is you won't be able to see into that eternal realm. That's what Paul was saying. Wow, we look not at the things which are seen. But the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. And he says, that's where I'm looking. And he says here, listen, if you don't get this truth, you'll go blind as a bat. You won't be able to see into that eternal realm. And he says, it'll actually get to the place to where you will even forget that you've been purged from your old sins. Which sounds a whole lot like hungering for what used to feed us in Egypt. Now, wow, 
Those are some pretty powerful guarantees, right? Both positively and negatively. Oh, okay, well, Peter, give it to us, baby. What, what is this? Okay, now in the first four verses, he talks about the most important decision that any person will ever make, and that is the decision to come to faith in Christ. And he says that that decision to come to faith in Christ allows us to become partakers of the divine nature. But he says, after coming to faith, in verses 5 through 7, okay, and this is where he lays out the truth. Okay, so you want to know what it is? He says, and beside this, beside coming to faith in Christ, he says, giving all diligence, not just hitting at it, but actually making this your life's aim, add to your faith. And you know how I jacked up discipleship in our church? I treated this passage as if it said, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith knowledge. I'm telling you, y'all, that was what I was all about. As soon as somebody gets saved, man, we're going to get them in the Word of God. Start getting the Word of God in them. And I, I love those people, and there was a lot of good people, and I was one of the people that thought I knew something then. Thought I could size some people up. What it says is we are to add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge but I want you to notice the verse is the way that he words this here okay it, it isn't that he's just saying hey there's a lot of a lot of pretty cool stuff that you need to add to your faith you know add to your faith well let me just give you a big old list virtue knowledge temperance patience godliness brotherly kindness and charity yeah, y'all get that stuff. That's not what it says. Do you understand what, what this is? This is a scope and sequence. There's a very definite order, and each one is built upon the other. Grammatically, he is forcing us to understand there is a scope and sequence. There is a way that this happens, and if you get it out of order, you're going to get it jacked up. Notice in verse 5 that virtue is what gets added to faith. And then once we have the virtue, the knowledge doesn't get added to faith. The knowledge gets added to virtue. Okay, and we really don't have the time in this message to, you know, chase all the cross-references. Okay, can we cut to the chase? You can study it on your own. But he gives us what we need to know about this thing of virtue in Philippians chapter 4 at the end of verse 8 and on into verse 9 where he says, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things, those things, watch this now, which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me what's the next word do and, and, and yeah th this could be a message in itself but virtue basically is doing what you know and as soon as a person comes to faith in Christ what we've got to make sure that is actually happening is that they are doing what they know they don't know Jack <laughs> But what they do know, they need to make sure that they're acting on that. And that's what the Holy Spirit said through Peter needed to be added to faith. Coming to a place, virtue is coming to a place of spiritual resolve that says, I will do whatever I learn, whatever I receive, 
whatever I hear and whatever I see in this book. Do you understand that? It's just the simplicity of virtue. Or, or like Jesus said in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20. I don't think I, I've got that verse up there. Most of you know it. But what, what he says is that we are to teach our disciple, does it say, all things whatsoever that Christ has commanded? You know, you, you're never going to teach your disciple all things that Christ commanded. You, you can't do it. But what we can be used of God to do is to teach them to observe all things that Christ has commanded. And do you know what that observation is? Do you know what that obedience is? That is virtue, y'all. And when we have come to the place of spiritual resolve that we're doing what we know, then we're ready to add knowledge to our virtue. In the morning sessions, and you know, I know a lot of you have had to work. I would encourage you to, you know, there's been two tracks. I would encourage you to get all of them. But what, what Pastor Sam Miles has been covering is the cost of discipleship. And basically, what the cost of discipleship is, is what I'm explaining to you tonight. It's allowing the people in our churches to come to a place of spiritual resolve to where they have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Okay. It took a little longer than I intended for it to take, of course. But the point I wanted you to see is that discipleship is life on life. And as disciplers, what we're doing is not just trying to give people a bunch of information, but to be so personally involved in their lives that we are seeking their transformation. And not so much about them being established in the knowledge of the Word of God but established in a meaningful relationship with the God of the Word. And that's what discipleship is. It's life on life. And then next, the discipleship is the work of the Lord. Duh! Discipleship is the work of the Lord. Okay, now... I think we got to be careful here because in Christian circles and even in our churches, we throw the phrase, the work of the Lord, around a lot. It's kind of one of those catch-all phrases that gets attached to just about anything and everything that we do at the church or for the church, from teaching a class to cleaning a class, from going on visitation to being involved in the decoration. And, you know, it's all the work of the Lord. And it all gets clumped into this, this catch-all phrase. But what I want you to see is that this is not a catch-all phrase. <laughs> this is not just spiritual verbiage for the, all the stuff that we do. It, it's a phrase that's found... In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, where it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And I want to make sure that we have a biblical understanding of this thing, of the work of the Lord. And so let's first of all ask the question, letter A, what is the work of the of the Lord and I got to tell you the answer to this question y'all is unbelievably deep I I don't really know for sure if I'm going to have the the capability of communicating to you what this thing of the work of the Lord is but see if see if somehow you can allow the Spirit of God to reveal this to you through a simple statement. Number one, the work of the Lord is the work 
the Lord did when he was here working. I know, you're going to need to probably take about a month of prayer and fasting to actually get that embedded into your mind and let it make that big 18-inch drop to your heart. Okay, y'all. It's real simple. The work of the Lord, it's called that because it's the work that the Lord did when he was working. And you know how many classes he decorated. And you know how many classes he swept. And I'm all about that. Those things need to happen, okay? But that's not the work of the Lord, y'all. In John chapter 4 and verse 34, Jesus said something very significant. He says to his disciples, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and listen now, and to finish his work. And he lets us know here that there was a very definite work the Father intended him to fulfill through his life. Do you see that? I'm here for this purpose, to finish this work. Now, obviously, we know that there was also a very definite work that the Father intended for Jesus to fulfill through his death. And we refer to that work as the work of redemption, right? And only Jesus could possibly fulfill that. But the work that Jesus is talking about in John chapter 4 and verse 34 is the work that the Father intended Jesus to fulfill through his life. And it is the work to which he was referring in his prayer to the Father the night before he died on the cross in John 17 and verse 4. Have you ever seen this? He ain't gone to the cross yet. And in the midst of the prayer, he says, I have finished the work. You remember what he said in John 4, 34? Okay. My meat, I'm here to finish the work. And he says in John 17, 4, okay, did that. I have finished the work of very definite very specific work. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And so we're forced to ask ourselves, what work was finished by the time of his prayer in John chapter 17? And it was simply this, y'all. Jesus had finished the work of making disciples. I'll try it one more time. The charm. Okay, and you, and you might be thinking, well, you know, this is a discipleship conference, and so that does fit your outline very well, doesn't it? <laughs> but isn't it really speculation to say that that was the work that he had finished, the work of making disciples? No. But thanks for asking. <laughs> because, listen, it is not speculation. And let me tell you why. Because Jesus goes on in this same prayer to identify three specific things that he had done to finish the work that the Father had sent him to do. And listen, they are detailed for us so that we would learn what the work of the Lord actually is because we are to always be steadfast and bounding in the work of the Lord. And, and to identify these three things, all we've got to do is just read the prayer and watch Jesus' usage of the, state, or of, of the phrase, I have... Okay, he, he says, I have finished the work. And then in the passage, he goes on to say, and this is what I have done. And, and so it's real easy for us to follow. And, and again, as a fellowship of churches that want to get ourselves dialed into 
the work of the Lord, I think it's very important for us to make sure that we grab what Jesus showed us discipleship actually is. And there are in this passage three key components of discipleship, and I'll identify them from John 17 as we go through this. But first of all, let me just talk to you about this, the importance of understanding what I, what I mean when I talk about the components of discipleship, okay? I, again, I, I, I think you get the word component, but I want to make sure that we really see this. Components are the individual things that make up the whole of something. You got that? Hello? Okay, and what Jesus shows, shows us in John 17, watch now, is that there's three individual things that all come together to make discipleship, discipleship. And we could say the same thing, maybe this illustration can help you get your head wrapped around it. We could say the same thing concerning concrete, okay? Track with me now. There are three components or three individual things that come together to make concrete, concrete. You have to have cement, you have to have an aggregate, and you have to have water. But in order to have concrete, it takes all three of those things. If you just have one or two of them in any combination, you don't have concrete. And listen, it's the same thing with discipleship. There, there's three things that come together to make discipleship, discipleship. And look with me, first of all, at component number one, and it is evangelism. It's evangelism. And the key word, I'll give you a key word for all of these, because it, 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 we, we need to get this as simple as we can possibly get it, y'all. The key word here is win. And, and Jesus shows us that this is where the work of discipleship begins in John chapter 17 and verse 6, as he is praying to the Father, talking about the work that he had finished, he says, I have, here it is, I have manifested thy name. And listen, y'all, that's what we have been called to do, to manifest to the lost world the name of the only one under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved, to proclaim with our lips and with our life who the God of the Bible is and how we can come to him and find him as our father. Through Adam's sin, every person, and we talked about this last night, every person born of a human father is lost from the father in heaven and God wants them to know him. First Peter chapter, or Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In First Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says that God will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that is evangelism. But it's very important to note, y'all, and this is in your notes, evangelism and discipleship are not two separate things. Okay, and I don't want to be picky Annie, but if we're going to understand what discipleship is, we've got to, we've got to I think, get our heads wrapped around this because I, I, I hear this just about everywhere I go. Our, our church, we're, we're all about evangelism and discipleship. And I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking, wait, I, I, don't, I don't want to get that. I, I mean, can you imagine you're, you're, you know, you're, you're driving down the road, you're at the stoplight, you're behind a, a cement truck. And the byline on the cement truck says, we specialize in cement and concrete. And you'd be thinking to yourself, wait, cement is just a third of what makes concrete. Okay, evangelism and discipleship are not two separate things. Understand it this way in your notes. Discipleship begins with 
evangelism. Evangelism isn't something different or, or something separate from discipleship. It's where it begins. In the same way that to have concrete, you got to start with the cement. And, and understand evangelism is a part of the discipling process. And yeah, I, I'll give you, just like cement is the most important part of the, the, the concrete, evangelism is certainly the most important part of discipleship because we'll never be able to disciple someone that hasn't been first one to him. But we've got to make sure in this, and I'm not going to be able to hang on the rim and stick my tongue out on this, but we've got to understand, y'all, that our commission is not simply to make converts. Our commission is to make disciples. So winning is awesome if you understand that it is a part of discipleship. But if you think that is the mission, I'm afraid you're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and be in for a rude awakening. Okay, that serves as a means to the next component. Component number two is edification. And, and, and the key word here is build. Once a person has become a believer in Jesus Christ, God's desire for him is to grow to spiritual maturity or that he be edified. And we know that this is the second component of discipleship because Jesus tells us in this prayer when he says that he had finished the work, the second thing that he tells us that he did in John chapter 17 and verse 8 is he says, I have given them the words which thou gavest me. This is the same thing that Paul said to the pastors that he left behind in the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 and verse 32 when he said, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up. We are edified or built up by the word of God being built into our lives. It, we, we see these first two components of discipleship beautifully illustrated by Paul in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19 where he writes to the, to the believers in, in Galatia that he had been used of God to win to Christ. And he says to them, my little children of whom I travail in birth What's the next word? Again, until Christ be formed in you. And what he's saying here is he had travailed to see them born again, to see them placed in Christ. But, but then after they had been won to Christ, he says, and starts talking about the second part of that process, and he says, I travail in birth again to see Christ fully formed in you. Yeah, you got him when you were born again, but I, I want to see you built. I want to see Christ formed in you. And that's the second component of discipleship. And I can tell you in 1988, when I became the lead pastor in New Philadelphia, my understanding of the commission only went that far. Those first two components... And listen, if you would have told me, hey, we could win people to Christ and we could see them built in, in the faith, man, you could have put a fork in me. I would think that would be the, the, the end all, man. But to Jesus, that's very short-sighted because there's a third component of discipleship, component number three, equipping Equipping, and the key word here is send. And we know that this is the third component of discipleship because in this prayer where Jesus was talking about the fact that he had finished the work, he goes on in John chapter 17 and verse 18, and he says, I have sent them into the world. And do you understand, y'all, that without commissioning them, without sending them into the world, do you realize Jesus could not have said back in verse 4 that he had finished 
the work the father had given to him to do because finishing the work required this third component. I put it in your notes this way. Equipping is the process of preparing a disciple that results in them being sent into the world or their sphere of influence, if you will, and they're being sent for the purpose of winning and building and sending others. It's been my observation through the years, y'all, that after people get saved, everybody goes to the world. And some will go because they went the way of the world. Some will go because they are sent to the world to reach them. But listen, y'all, without a mission to the world, it's just way too tempting to become of the world. But, but listen, that's what discipleship is, y'all. It's a threefold process that begins with winning someone to Christ and then continues by building them up in the faith and then continues in seeing them equipped to be sent to the world. Jesus said in John 20 and verse 21, my, as the, my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. The Father sent him to finish his work. As my Father hath sent me to finish the work, now I'm sending you to finish that work. And that leads to the second question tonight, and that is letter B, who is to do the work of the Lord? Okay, I, I hope that what discipleship is from John 17 will go with us the rest of our life, those three things. But now who is to actually do the work of the Lord? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in, in verse 17, this is a, a verse that most of us have committed to memory. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And we act like there ain't a verse 18. And, okay, oh, Paul, you weren't through with that. Okay. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, or the work of the ministry, the work of the Lord. And he says, he hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, contextually, y'all, who is the us? Everybody that's been made a new creature. Yeah, uh, discipleship just isn't my thing. I'm just, I'm just kind of more into cleaning up and doing this and that at the church. Hey, awesome. Every, we're all gifted different. But if you've been made a new creature in Christ, you've been given a commission. And man, you trust God to take the relationship you have with him and infuse that into somebody else. But who is to do the work of the Lord? Number one, everyone who has been made a new creature in Christ. And all God's people say it. And, and, and let me take you real quick to another passage that's also written to the Corinthians. In, in, in Paul's first letter, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and, and he picks up in verse 51 and talks about this great mystery. And, and basically what he's talking about is this great transformation that's going to take place when we are resurrected or when we are raptured off of the earth. And, and I, again, I don't have time to get into all of the details of this because somehow time went really fast tonight for me. And, but but he, he's, he's getting stoked on this, man. And, and he starts uh, going go on into verse 55. Next page. Yeah. He's even talking to death. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Come on with it. You know, I mean, he, he's just stoked about this thing. 
the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're all anxious for that day, aren't we? But notice this incredible therefore in the longest chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians. 57 verses to talk about the fact that we're going to get resurrected, y'all. Therefore. Okay. Based on all of that. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And what is the work of the Lord? It's the work the Lord did when he was here working. And so who is to do the work of the Lord? Number two, everyone who's planning on having a part in the resurrection. And I say to you tonight, are you planning on being raptured off of this planet? Okay, well, if so, then you qualify to be a, dis a discipler of other people because that's who is to do this and then that leads to the third question tonight and that is where and maybe better stated with whom does the work of the Lord begin and man I I, I certainly wanted to give this point it's due but I'm gonna have to streamline it okay and Okay, how many of you are pastors or uh, pastors on a staff? In the, okay, well, there's a lot, man. Glad you, you're here. Okay, I, brethren, I, I'm, I'm one of us. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to talk down to anybody. I'm, I'm talking to me, okay? But I, I do think that we might, at this discipleship conference, and, and all of you that aren't pastors, will you allow me to just kind of talk to them for just a sec? And, and y'all say amen, okay? Because they, they, they won't be able to, to do that in, in this little part here, okay? But, but could I just, one brother to another, could, could I just remind you of our primary biblical responsibility? In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, we see at the end of verse 11 that he calls our names. We are those given to the sum in the church age to be pastors and teachers, right? And verse 12 lays out our biblical responsibility and why it is that we were given as gifts to the church, the body of Christ. And look at what he, what he says. It was for something. And it was for something very specific. And he... Notice what he says that it was for in verse 12. Does he say that the pastor teacher is given for the evangelization of the lost? Does he say the pastor teacher is given for the comfort of the distressed? Does he say for the inspiration of the Sunday morning attendees? They're given for the numerical growth of the church. Okay, what I've just talked about is everything that gets us off. What verse 12 says is that we are given as gifts to the church, and this is number one, for the perfecting of the saints. Okay, please don't go out of here tonight. And say, you know, Pastor Mark's, you know, he's kind of weak on evangelism. I'm not saying that. Everything, discipleship begins with evangelism. We, we've already covered that, okay? But I will tell you, fellas, a steady diet of evangelistic messages will not perfect the saints or bring the saints to maturity. And, and according to the word of God, that is our responsibility and, and as we look at verses 13 and 14 li listen this perfecting of the saints is no small thing that he's talking about here he's talking about till we all come in the unity of the faith the faith is the body of truth that is revealed in the word of god and god wants the people in our churches unified in the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Not just knowing about him, but knowing him unto a perfect man. Doesn't mean sinless, but perfectly or completely mature. How mature do you, are you talking, Pastor? Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow! I would say that's pretty doggone mature. And why is that our responsibility? Verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And listen, the winds of false doctrine are blowing at hurricane force right now. And what our responsibility is as pastors is to perfect the saints, to bring them to maturity. And that is our responsibility. And there's so many more things that we could say about this, but I want you to notice that what he says in verse 12, let's go back there, is that this maturity or this perfection of the saints, listen now, isn't an end in itself. God doesn't just want to take a bunch of mature saints to heaven when they die. So perfect them. And notice, the perfecting of the saints is for something. The perfecting of the saints is actually a means to another end. And this is number two. The perfecting of the saints is for those saints to carry out the work of the ministry. And again, this is a synonymous term with the work of the Lord. And I just want to remind all of us that that is our primary responsibility. And, and listen, fellas, do you understand that what we're doing is actually preparing our people for their ultimate accounting at the judgment seat of Christ? And do you understand at the judgment seat of Christ that all of our people are going to give an account for whether or not they did the work of the ministry? I, I don't... I don't I've got some other things I wanted to say. We're going to have to, you're going to have to work, maybe skip a, a slide or two, but, but, but just listen, y'all. Pastors, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 says that the folks are to obey us and to follow our lead. And, and, and what it says is that we're the one that's watching for their souls as they that must give an account. Listen, at the judgment seat of, account, uh, of Christ, we're going to give an account for how we watch for the souls of our people. And part of watching for their souls is preparing them to do well at the judgment seat of Christ by carrying out the work of the Lord. And if we didn't perfect the saints so that the saints could carry out the work of the ministry they won't do well at the judgment seat of Christ and if they don't do well at the judgment seat of Christ neither will we because this is our primary responsibility to perfect the saints for the work that the Lord did when he was here working Okay, let me put a bow on it. I'll, I'll do it quickly. What, is, what, what does all of this mean to us? Okay, what, what is it that we should be getting from all of this? Three key takeaways concerning discipleship. Letter A. Discipleship is our mission. It's what we do. And listen, most of our churches, we, we do all kinds of things except the one thing that he left us here to do. 
is it not the craziest thing in the world? It's our mission. It, it's what we do. Now, listen, our purpose as the church is to glorify Christ. But our mission is to make disciples. That's what he left us here to do. Then next, letter B, discipleship is our mandate. It's why we breathe. You are breathing God's air tonight as a son of God because he has mandated you and me with this incredible privilege to replenish the earth with a race of beings known as sons of God. And that's how we fit into what Ephesians, the book of Ephesians calls the eternal purpose of God. Again, he's been working this purpose all through the ages. And now he has us here. We have been mandated for this mission, it's why we breathe. And then thirdly, discipleship is our method. It's how we multiply. You'll you remember that original commission that, was, that God gave to Adam was to be fruitful and add and replenish the earth. Was that it? No, to be fruitful and say it? Multiply and replenish the earth. And, and listen... No, rather than pack up, just grab this. I'm almost done. Do you understand that in order for Adam and Eve to replenish the earth, it required multiplication. But in order to do that, it would mean that Adam and his bride's babies would need to grow to maturity and begin reproducing themselves. You get that? Their commission was to reproduce reproducers. And so is ours. We're just doing spiritually what they were commissioned to do physically. Discipleship is our method. It's how we multiply. I don't know what you think the goal of our churches actually is, but... I would suggest that biblically, the goal is this, to reproduce reproducers who are a part of reproducing, reproducing churches. And that's how we will reach the world with the gospel, because that is the method that God intended for us, to reproduce reproducers who are a part of reproducing, reproducing churches. And Lord, again, take the things that we've seen from your word and get them embedded into our hearts, uh, not just for this evening, but for the long haul. Uh, until we're raptured off of the, this planet, may we... Let these truths be embedded in us, we ask in Jesus' name.